Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Reverman. So, Dean, um, I don't think um, healthcare, the need for healthcare, is probably not going to go away anytime soon. I don't think so. I mean, no, we need healthcare. Seems like people are still getting older. Yes, sick. Things are still happening to yes, them. Yes, I mean, We were just talking happen. yesterday about all of my maladies. You know, I've, <laughs> I've had like multiple doctor visits in the last you're, couple months. You're just doing your part to uh, keep the healthcare yeah. system sustained. Stopped into the ER yes. once. I've done urgent care. I've had Holy various medicines. Moly. Like, yeah. I mean, you'd think I was falling Fall, apart. In yeah, some ways, well, yeah. I probably am. But, I mean, it hasn't been that bad. But Welcome just, to old age. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. just, you know, health yeah. care is yeah. a thing. It is a thing. It's not going anywhere, it's bro. It's not going anywhere. Nope. we got an aging mm-hmm. population. We all need it. Yeah. Uh, yep. And you might have noticed healthcare changed a little bit over the last oh, few years. Yes, um, for sure. Uh, th- there was something going on in the world. I oh. can't quite remember what it was Over now. the last it's, couple of years? Yeah, it's healthcare kind of related? fading away. Uh, I don't, yeah, know. I don't we don't, know. We don't seem to talk about it that much anymore. Yeah. In fact, we prefer not to talk about it. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, obviously, we saw some innovation during the pandemic. True. Uh, but as we've moved to kind of away from that and kind of out of that phase, mm. uh, you know, we were kind of curious, well, where do we stand now? What's yep. going on with healthcare now? In particular, obviously, for our channel. Are there still opportunities, I wonder? Exactly. What's yeah. the status of digital health? What's right. next? Uh, we got Catherine Cummins from uh, ELO joining us again today on the She's show awesome. to help us dive yep. into this. Yep. We're going to talk about some healthcare tech predictions, mm. some trends, some opportunities. We're going to see what she's seeing, you know, mm-hmm. on her end. As she's out there talking with customers and dealing like literally with the today, space. she was out yeah, talking it, to customers, yeah, right? Exactly, hot off the press, exactly. Right. So, we're gonna find out what, what she's seeing out there, what people are thinking, where the spending's going, or where it's not going at this point. We're gonna get into stuff about telehealth, talk a little bit more about what's happening there. Is mm-hmm. that still, you know, moving forward and yeah. up like yeah. it was? Yeah. Uh, we're gonna get into hot topics like AI. Ah, I mean, because I have a couple questions, I don't think you're, I don't think you're allowed to talk about any tech thing anymore no. without involving AI Especially in some way, Especially healthcare. So, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, healthcare yeah. is involved there too. Cybersecurity, no, of course, another big issue. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll find out a little bit about what Elo is paying attention to and looking at right now. So, Smart people over there, absolutely. There you go. So if you're in the healthcare space, you need to be listening to this one. We're going to hopefully hopefully you find some opportunities and some trends and some talking points to cash in on here. Nice. All that plus our usual value to the var. What's tech connecting with us? It's time to plug in and get connected. Welcome to the Tech Connect podcast. It's time to get connected. All right, as I mentioned, our returning guest today is Catherine Cummings. She is the director of the healthcare vertical for ELO. Uh, you might have, I think we had her about a year ago or so that we yeah. had you on last time, kind yeah. of talking about some similar trends and issues. And I know we talked a lot about kiosks. We did a webinar together where we had a great discussion ah, about healthcare kiosks yes. and that mm-hmm. kind of technology. So that's booming right now. Exactly. Yeah. So thank you for coming back, Catherine. You just mentioned we were talking to you right before we got on that you are traveling, you're out there seeing customers. What have you been up to for the last year? What's the world been like for you? as we've glided out of the pandemic universe. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me on again. I'm really thrilled to be here. Um, it's been a kind of a crazy past year. There's a lot more travel happening, a lot more customer visits. We have access to a lot more hospitals as well. So we've been able to actually get into the facilities, see what technologies they're, they're needing and wanting, and um, have some really great conversations with them about emerging technologies and how we can assist them with things like alleviating administrative burden and streamlining clinical tasks or other tasks for patients. And then also assisting with um, things that give patients a little bit more autonomy or a little bit more uh, collaboration within their health care. So it's really exciting to see um, all the new things that are happening in the emerging technology. And I'm really excited to talk to you guys today about all of it. Gosh, I didn't even think about it, Catherine. But yeah, during the pandemic, yeah. you couldn't go visit hospitals. Yeah. I mean, talk about how do you grow? How do you make solutions when you can't even walk in the facility? Exactly. I yeah, mean, I, I know a lot of places kind of like didn't let people come in as much, but in healthcare, it's even <laughs> right. more important than anywhere else. Like, no, you literally, we cannot afford to have folks. So that's trying to re- you're trying to sell us stuff. Yeah, that's got to be refreshing, right, to Catherine, to get back in there and meet with your old peeps and stuff like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to not have to just do virtual all the time. Uh, We've been able to have a lot of technology showcases at hospitals where we can show them everything that we're doing at ELO and all of our partners are doing as well in a really collaborative approach. So doing that has been um, kind of really changing the way that we do business 
obviously during the pandemic to now. So um, I think it's been really effective and a lot of our hospitals especially have enjoyed having vendors come in and showcase everything we have going on. Awesome. Well, part of the reason we wanted to do this particular episode with you, I mean, we, when we knew we were going to have you back and we knew we'd be talking healthcare, there was an article I came across a couple months back mm. from around the beginning of the year called How Technology Will Shape Healthcare in 2023. It's from Healthcare Dive. And I kind of wanted us to, you know, to, to go over some of the talking points they have in there. But maybe before we dive into that and some of the specific, you know, trends that they're looking at and mm-hmm, paying attention mm-hmm. to, I just kind of wanted to get your sense of, you know, what's going on in the space right now. And again, I, you know, I mentioned earlier on the the pandemic, you know, necessitated this rapid adoption of new tech. Yes, you know? right. We got telehealth really more invested and, than ever in telehealth, yep. in video options, you know, trying to figure out new ways to communicate and new ways to connect with patients while keeping them safe and keeping them separate from one another. <laughs> like uh, mobilizing, uh, you know, COVID into parking lots where you can take tests and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. That whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. All the things that we just never would have thought we needed. Yeah, mobile All the things that we probably should have been heading towards at some point, but just <laughs> had to do it because, you know, the mother invention thing. Right, right. Uh, but now, obviously, that's kind of slowing down a little bit now because, you know, we're now in this space where, you know, again, you can start going into hospitals and clinical settings. Mm. Again, people feel a little more comfortable mm-hmm. going in in person. So, you know, what are you encountering around that right now? What are healthcare orgs saying about tech adoption, about their expectations over the next few years? Are they are they dialing back a little bit or is it still moving forward? Are they shifting gears from things that were priorities during the pandemic now? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest things that we see are conversations around what is what would be the the biggest bang for their buck or the most effective thing to put in the healthcare facility. A lot of these hospitals are still really hurting from uh, financial loss during the pandemic in the tune of billions of dollars. So we're we're having these conversations with these facilities on you know what will help them in the immediate improve workflow, assist with that administrative burden. Um, and really, you know, help with staff retention as well, because that's also a big issue that we're seeing. So there's a lot of conversations, obviously, around machine learning and AI and those types of things. But we are also talking um, to uh, these healthcare facilities a lot about integrating their data, predictive analytics. How do they turn over beds faster? What technologies can we utilize within the facility to ensure that the downtime between admitting a patient are discharging a patient rather and, and admitting a new one in that same room is really short. Um, so how do we do really good turnover? There's also a lot of conversations around mental health. Um, how can we ensure that our behavioral health areas in the facility are served just as well as our non-behavioral health areas with technologies? And then lastly, I think there's a lot more conversations about remote patient monitoring, virtual care, especially remote patient monitoring. We see a lot of remote uh, remote patient monitoring happening in the ICU, um, where we can actually see what's going on with all of the patient's medical devices on one pane of glass. So we can, you know, again, pull in that predictive analytics, see trends happening with, you know, their oxygenation or what's happening with their arterial monitoring, things like that, um, where, you know, we can have interventions occur more rapidly so that we can create better outcomes for our patient. And then on the virtual care side, especially in our rural hospitals or our hospitals or facilities that we see that don't have the staffing or don't have the uh, attending physicians who have those specialty care, so infectious disease um, is a big one, podiatry, cardiology, you know, in these kind of rural communities, we have the ability to bring that to them with virtual care. And I think we're seeing more and more um, more and more of that happening uh, in all of our environments, not just in rural environments, but long-term care and acute care as well. So I think those are the main things that I've been seeing in the conversations that the ELO team has been having and all of our partners and collaborators have been having in the field too. Cool. Let's dive into two of those topics, staff retention and virtual care uh, in just a second. But I did, I got a couple statistics I want to throw out there because, you know, the question is, are things slowing down a little mm-hmm. bit? Global digital health investment activity. This is by CB Insight, who, who it's a company that takes a look at the investment that's mm-hmm. coming into healthcare. Contracted. So activity contracted, meaning shrunk in 2022 with a funding falling 57% year over year and deals, meaning acquisitions and or uh, companies invest in software development companies and stuff like that, reaching a 50-year low. So um, healthcare funding reached about $25.9 billion in 22, 
2022, which again is a 57% drop. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're just seeing less money go into it. Right. And I guess, Catherine, to your point, though, you know, so let's dive into the staff shortage, right? And and it seems like there's a lot of buzz around healthcare around the fact that, uh, you know, healthcare is not immune to the staff shortage uh, pandemic that is happening, I guess, everywhere. Uh, and so it sounds like you're getting asked for solutions that can assist in that, right? Whether it's front of house on the pace and check-in with kiosks and stuff like that to even a little bit of the back of the house. But but dive a little deeper there. Is that what you're seeing here in, in the need for more solutions to augment where the staffing is just not there. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that, especially in front of house with patient check-in, having a little bit more um, the self-service aspect in healthcare. The other thing that we're really having conversations about is this idea of ensuring that whatever technology we're putting into a healthcare facility is actually making the clinician workflow more efficient versus adding an extra step for them. Um, Because as far as staff retention go, there's nothing worse. And speaking from experience, right, as a former ICU nurse, there's nothing worse than having a new technology be implemented and it making your day more difficult. So what are we doing to ensure that they're having staff retention because they're taking maybe a little bit off of the clinician's plate or helping with efficiency for them or adding a technology that that just makes their makes their job a little bit easier um, to make sure that they're focusing on patient care and not necessarily administrative tasks or task nursing, as we liked to call it. Um, you know, we want to focus in on what we're doing to care for the patient and not necessarily our checklist or to-do list for the entire day that we have to get done. I can't imagine a worse scenario than making an ICU environment more taxing. Yeah, no doubt. Like, like, let's not do that, right? (laughs) Uh, uh, So let's dive into virtual real quick, uh, because you you mentioned that as as a growth area as well. You know, I wonder, though, is is, the question is, is virtual care legit? Meaning we kind of had to do it during the pandemic and the telehealth boom and stuff like that. But I always wondered in the back of my mind, well, yeah, but doctors and practitioners, they're going to want people to come back. They're going to want to be able to Mm -hmm. do that in person thing. Is it legit, uh, Catherine? Is, is, is the healthcare community embracing the, the advantages that virtual care can bring to the table and stuff like that? Or is, do you think, think that that's going to kind of wane a little bit? I think it's going to get bigger. And, you know, obviously we have the, those acute care, those hospital care, virtual care environments where we're, you know, having healthcare provider evaluations, there's secure messaging, there's, um, you know, uh, wearables that connect directly into the virtual care. But I think the biggest area of growth that we're going to see is actually for chronic um, condition management. So people with COPD, people with congestive heart failure, um, those those disease processes that need long-term management by a provider. And, um, you know, we have a lot of patients when, when I was working in the hospital that we would call frequent flyers who would come in a lot because they simply didn't understand or realize that managing their illness at home was imperative to long-term health. And they would come in over and over again with the same complaints or the same issues. And a lot of it was because they didn't have a way to to manage their chronic illness at home. So I think what we're going to see more of is the virtual care environment for chronic illness becoming extremely important, especially insurance companies, I think are going to start adopting this. Um, especially these these providers for you know cardiology, pulmonology that have these patients that require years of uh, constant monitoring. So I think that is where we're going to see the most growth is that chronic care uh, management, and not necessarily uh, the acute care environment because the acute care environment we know exactly what's needed, right? But the chronic care is is an area that is a little bit untapped. So I believe we're going to see a lot more of that. Yeah, I mean, I guess there was a little bit of a hesitation, you know, lack of trust and maybe in some of the technology and stuff like that. But to your point, it has its advantages. Uh, and interesting to, to note on the wearable side, you know, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. I got my little watch here, but yep. it's, uh, it's more than just that, right? Right. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's a lot types more of wearables. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, you know, I, I think, too, where, where this conversation is kind of going right now, what really stands out to me is the idea of solutions that are beyond just basic healthcare technology mm, stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I just think right now, like if your goal is to go out and try to sell some barcode scanners or a labeling solution for samples mm. or, you know, mobile computers, just just the basic run of the mill stuff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're gonna find I mean, it's 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 gonna be slow going. It's gonna be hard to tread water because 
again, obviously there's always a lot of those solutions. Well, out sure. There. But more yeah. importantly, it's just not the stuff that's moving the needle and getting people excited or engaged mm-hmm. in healthcare. If they need it, they're going to reach out and, and, and connect with you. Maybe you get a nice deal out of it. Fine. But it feels like right now the solutions and the stuff that are interesting people that that moves the needle and gets them interested is the stuff when you start talking about things like virtual care, mm-hmm. when you start talking about solutions that are bigger and more expansive that are helping expand healthcare mm-hmm. to places where maybe it's not hasn't been going before, or helping solve problems that are very unique to healthcare that simple hardware doesn't. I think back to last year. We had two big episodes, and they were both tied into two big marketing campaigns that we did last year on mm-hmm. behalf of these mm-hmm. folks. Mm-hmm. One was Kevin Leo. We had one from V1. We had Tim Kiebelbeck from Ambient. Mm-hmm. So you had V1, which was all about these virtual care solutions, mm-hmm. this virtual care continuum-type solution. Ambient, which focuses on sepsis in particular. Yep, right. Both of those, from a marketing standpoint, we went out and did a marketing campaign were gangbusters. People mm. were really interested in in hearing more about those solutions. They were interested in you know requesting content about those solutions because again, it's it's more than just here's another here's another inventory tracking solution. Here's another asset management solution for healthcare. It's so much bigger than that. It's about solutions, things like you know again the sepsis thing. Hey, mm-hmm. when you've got people that are dying in the hospitals because you can't manage properly all the different aspects of sepsis and all mm-hmm. the different identifying markers, people are going in with one problem, getting sick with sepsis and having other issues on the back end. Or when you've got rural areas that aren't getting the the treatment and health that they need, you know, communities that just don't get reached out to because they don't have access to this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff I think that healthcare organizations are really care about mm. and they're passionate about mm-hmm. and they should be. I would mm-hmm. you'd hope they are. So I just feel like that's that's I think the point we're at now which is if you're if you want to be part of whatever the next stage of healthcare tech is, you've got to start making partnerships on new levels of technology, especially on the software side, especially on new solutions beyond the basic. You're just you're not going to play anymore if all you want to do is try to find the next hospital that needs some barcode scanners, right? To buy them from. <laughs> but you. I think Catherine brought up an interesting point on the insurance side, which mm. is I, I guess it's it's unique to healthcare. Maybe maybe not unique, but it is an anomaly, a little bit of an anomaly, right? In the sense the insurance companies need to embrace when these new technologies yeah. are implemented because if the healthcare you know entity can't bill for it why would they do it now it's right, it, it, right. they're getting into even worse financial uh, shape is that true uh, Catherine? i mean is it is part of this you know having the insurance companies uh, embrace these adoptions as well well i think in general healthcare is a bit of a laggard in adopting new technology i think we all know that so yeah um uh, it, there has to be so much data behind whether or not a technology works, which is you know, why we're not seeing machine learning and artificial at- intelligence being adopted as quickly in healthcare as we're seeing in other industries. Um, but I do think that there are a lot more healthcare facilities who are equipping these patients with um, different tools to manage their chronic illnesses, because if they don't do that and the patient comes back three, five, six days later, um, the, the hospital is now responsible for paying for that patient's care. It's not the insurance company. It's not the patient. It's, you know, they have to prove that they did all this education with the patient. They gave them all the tools. And if they did all of those things right, then the insurance company will, you know, have the patient pay for it or the insurance company will pay for it. But if the hospital doesn't do their due diligence and push all of these tools towards the patient, do the appropriate education, then the hospital is now responsible for that readmission and paying for all of that patient care. Those readmission, that's yep. the uh, yep. that's a more than four-letter word that speaks <laughs> as a four-letter word to the healthcare industry for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Uh, so, Catherine, you've mentioned the chronic illness thing a couple times now, and that was you know a big part of this healthcare dive article that talks about the shift in telehealth and the mm. way that healthcare is starting to think about telehealth now is moving away from just the you know the standard oh I'm you know I I'm sick I got a cough I'm going to do a telehealth visit to right. yeah. to get some medicine or whatever. Although I, I I think there's still a lot of value in that, frankly. You know, of not having to run to the doctor's office every time you get oh, a for sure. sickness. Yeah. But it sounds like, in general, where they really think there could be value in telehealth and investment moving forward is emphasizing chronic care treatments, emphasizing high value health care, as they call it. So maybe explain a little bit more about what you're seeing there and what does that mean from like the hardware and software standpoint? What, what needs to be done to implement or to move telehealth to this level to start treating those kind of illnesses and again, raise that awareness with the patient when they're not, you know, on site to make sure that. That they're not coming back in and getting readmitted and costing the hospital more money. 
Absolutely. So there's a couple of things that we're seeing or a couple of different trends. I think the first one I mentioned earlier is this idea of predictive analytics. So if a patient has congestive heart failure, they say, you know, you don't want a certain weight gain from one day to the other. So predictive analytics would show this patient has had a seven pound weight gain over the last week. They're a high risk for readmission. And with um, that virtual care for chronic illness management, you can put that information into a database or the patient can call it in daily um, and have the clinical staff kind of managing uh, what the chronic illness care looks like. And they can call the patient and say, hey, what's going on? Do we need to do some additional education? Whatever that looks like. And then the other side of it we also talked about a little bit too is that idea of patients having wearables. Uh, The wearables market in healthcare, I think, is getting really, really big. Obviously, you and I have our Apple Watch or our Garmin's or all of those types of things, and those are extremely common. But we're seeing a lot more wearables um, being pushed into uh, that the home that are not just watches, but things that do a little bit more, like take blood pressures, for example, um, constantly monitoring patients' heart rates, things like that, that allow us to have a little bit more insight into what might be happening um, in the patient home. And, you know, something I think is also really cool is the fact that um, a lot of the uh, AICDs, defibrillators, we can actually see what's happening with them. So if there's a, a run of an irregular heart rate now, a physician can go in and actually see, hey, something funny happened in this per- this patient's heart rhythm on this at this time. And they, you know, this happened recently with my dad. Hi, dad, by the way. And, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, the doctor was able to go, what were you doing that day? Right? Ah. Oh, I was walking outside in the hot sun and my heart rate got really high. So um, we can actually assist patients in their care a little bit more when we have those kind of analytics or additional tools to ensure that their chronic illnesses are being managed better. Isn't that amazing? I mean, oh, yeah, this is. is this is part of where that technology is really just kind of like fascinating to watch. I mean, the wearables, tying it into data, right? Then you need right. – uh, t- I love the single pane of glass that you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. Catherine, right? It's like, okay, here's all the information coming in, just a, a, an avalanche of information coming in, but got to distill it down yep. to the bare essentials of uh, – and, and how can this now affect a good patient outcome, yeah. whether it's chronic or, or otherwise. Uh, that's just fascinating yeah. to me. Well, right? and that's been a, that's been a regular on- – Going conversation in healthcare for a while now of all these different sources, like maybe you whether you're going to different types of clinics, different types of doctors, mm-hmm. maybe they're not all part, you know. I mean, I know like around this area, you know, where we are and you know, here in northern Kentucky, you know, like we have one big provider that a lot of the other providers are tied to. You yeah, know? So right. so typically a lot of what I do is tied together with, you know, in, in one EMR, you know, one EHR for everybody to see mm-hmm, in all these different mm-hmm. places. But that's not always the case. You know, Catherine, you're in New York City right now. I know that's a place in particular where people have a lot of problems with this, where they're seeing lots of different types of providers that are not interconnected yep, in not any connected way. Not connected at all. So no. you go to one place yeah. and they diagnose or treat you for something. Your other practitioner... And they send you somewhere else, maybe. Yeah, yeah. maybe give you a medicine or something. Your right. other practitioner has no idea what they're doing, has no idea what that what they're doing might affect what they're doing. Yeah. And so well, you know, there's there's not that that cohesive kind of you know mm-hmm. bringing everything together. And to Catherine's point, also like the the wearables market, whether it's the stuff that we already are doing or whatever they can give you, is just more data points that if we can find out great ways to pull all this together and create that single pane of glass mm-hmm. where your healthcare team can spot and see when things are happening. I love that example you gave. I think about that too. Like my, you know, I've got the healthcare app. You know, we've mm-hmm. all got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, right. If you wear an Apple device, you got a healthcare app. It's tied into the watch. There's stuff data I can add to it. Yep. Sometimes I'll go in there and thumb through and be like, man, there's so much useful data here. And oh, then yeah. I also think yeah. Does my doctor have access to any of this? <laughs> is there stuff in here my doctor doesn't even know about? Is there things that if he saw, he might go, hey, John, maybe we need to yeah. dial it back on, yeah. you know, the hamburgers this week or something, you know? <laughs> looks like looks like this particular level is a little off right now. I would love that. I think that would be fantastic. And I think that's, I hopefully that's the world we're hoping we're going to try to get so. to. Yeah. It's yeah. just a matter of figuring out how, how we get there. Yeah, the end, right, so. yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah. interoperability is certainly another four-letter word that's not really <laughs> oh, yes. in healthcare. So, <laughs> okay, well, I get it. Uh, all right. Well, you know, you mentioned AI earlier, and obviously, you know, the, the healthcare is a little slow on the uptake and mm-hmm. bringing mm-hmm. in AI. But also at the same time, right now, everyone is talking AI. There's yeah. not an industry I think that no. hasn't isn't trying to figure out how 
AI can be crammed into it somehow, for better <laughs> or for right. worse, yeah. whether it needs to or not. But AI has also been part of the conversation in healthcare for a long time. Yes. To figure out, like, how does that fit in? How can we use it to... Well, on the predictive side. Yeah, exactly. How can nature, we use yeah. it to predict things better? Right. How can we use it to help out with, you know, labor? How can we use it to make sure we're not missing things, mm-hmm, diagnoses, mm-hmm, drugs, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff? So tell us a little bit more about that. You know, what, what it's obviously it's this hot topic. What's the potential for healthcare right now? What are you seeing out there? What, what are people trying to do using AI in healthcare? Well, I think um, AI and machine learning has like a pretty massive impact on healthcare in general. Uh, I think the things that we're seeing most often is with artificial intelligence, we're able to more quickly analyze things like CT scans, other types of scans to improve cancer diagnostics, for example, um, biopsies, um, cell mutations, we're able to see more quickly with artificial intelligence as well. Um, with, with AI in general, we're seeing a lot of adoption, obviously, at the medical device company level, using um, artificial intelligence in, in different, um, uh, different devices that they're building out so that they can ensure that there's a less opportunity for human error. And kind of along that, I actually wanted to ask you guys a question. There's a, a gentleman, gentleman named um, Bill Russell, who I follow on, on um, LinkedIn, And he actually said something on LinkedIn the other day that really resonated with me. He does a poll every single Monday. And the poll a couple of weeks ago was um, that we accept a higher error rate by humans than we will ever accept with AI with regard to human life. And humans can make mistakes that may lead someone to die, which is obviously extremely tragic, but human error is understood and, ex- and it really we deem like an acceptable risk a lot of the time. So if we adopt AI, like does this have ram- ramifications um, in healthcare and will our tolerance for human error um, with AI assistance become lower? Like what is the acceptable really threshold? Really good point. Yeah. Right. So um, I wanted to bring that up because I think that was like it really resonated with me. Like, what's the acceptable error rate for AI in healthcare? Are we willing to accept error rate with AI and machine learning and all of those things? And, um, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot more questions that come around uh, that topic, especially. But I think artificial intelligence is truly a marvel and we should be adopting that because if it assist us at all with being able to reduce human error, especially with things like cancer diagnoses or other diagnoses that are life altering, then um, I think we should embrace it wholeheartedly, truly. I agree. I mean, I think that that's a really interesting, uh, you know, philosophical question to ask, (laughs) you know, because if, if human error is, I don't know, 10%. 10%? Right, uh, I mean, right. we all, to err is human. Is that the, the, the right. phrase? Sorry. So yeah, we've, uh, we've, we've adapted some acceptable yeah, risks. Yeah. yeah. So then you augment it with AI. So did, does that 10% now go down to 2% and that's acceptable? I mean, you know, I think that, I don't know. I'm going to, so here's my answer without lawyers in the room. <laughs> <laughs> that, that yes, I would think that people would be accepting of it because to your point, Catherine, and what I've read is that, you know, AI truly can have a, not just a little impact, like, significant impact, especially on the diagnosis side and things of that nature, where it may not be perfect, but it's a heck of a lot better than, you know, a radiologist looking at thousands of whatever, you know, and and trying to discern that. It's just going to do a much, much better job than that. Now, what I meant by the lawyers is, of course, they'll come in and say, well, you know, we've got case studies and and stuff like that, and they'll just muck everything up. But (laughs) but in general... I think at the end of the day, I mean... You're, I think, to, to Catherine's point, at some point you're going to hit this point where people do feel like, hey, if this exists and it can make things better, then I expect things to typically be better. better. I'll yeah. give you yeah, a, right. just an, an example. It seems like far off and yet still fits in with the mentality. Mm-hmm. All right. When I get an email from somebody or a message, especially if it's a corporate message or a marketing email that All was right. supposedly vetted, yes. and it's got spelling errors or <laughs> right. grammatical mistakes or coherent mistakes, and uh, I think to myself, all right, I've got Grammarly on my desktop. Mm-hmm. I know how to actually put together an email and have at least even the, beyond my own skills, have an AI program that will say, hey, this might be reworded for clarity or, hey, you misspelled this. You mm-hmm. left some punctuation out there. Right, right. If I can do that, and, and granted, yes, it is my job also, but even as a consumer, 
why not? Well, I should expect that from others. Yes. So it's one of those things where I get those emails. Now, I see. I'm frustrated and annoyed by that because yeah. I know that this exists <laughs> and I know how simple and easy it is yeah. to fix these problems before they before you ever put that message out. Into so the you're world. making the argument the AI is going to be the expectation, right? right. That, that you would expect healthcare providers to be using and augmenting their right. their workflow. I think once to the that advantage. happens, I think once you cross that Rubicon mm. and you've reached the point where you've got healthcare providers that are doing it. And the problem, let's be honest, the problem that's going to be, it's going to start off like in your Mayo clinics and your, you know, New York City hospitals, uh, you know, yeah. some of the biggest healthcare organizations in the world will be doing it. And it won't trickle down probably for a while because it's going to be probably cost, you know, prohibitive in some ways, I imagine, mm. over time. Mm. Maybe. I don't, know. I don't know. But I think it's it's going to start becoming a, a competitive differentiator as well. Ah, yes. And then... And, and hopefully it also doesn't become a haves and haves nots thing where like, you know, hey, like, you know, I have access to the nice healthcare systems that have the AI. So my chances of having any particular problems or issues are even more minimal versus, again, when you go out to like rural health, community health centers, they all don't of a have sudden, that yeah, they, they don't have that. You- and the rates are still high. You know, the, the risk rates and the death rates are still high because of it. Yeah. Do you see that happening, Catherine? Like there might be a a, a classification of, of healthcare, you know, those that have AI or those entities that do, and they'll use it from a differentiation standpoint to those that aren't in using it? Is this where I think it could that there go? There are, you know, what we would call the early adopters, probably. Most of the teaching hospitals that are going to be doing all of the research and everything, just, you know, to kind of go back to the original article that you brought up on healthcare dive there is a kind of a lack of the randomized controlled trials that we need to fully adopt AI in these medical facilities. There's just a really small amount of them, and it has to reach a threshold, really, to, for us to be able to widely adopt AI. And we're doing it, right? Hospitals are doing it, but not at the rate as a lot of other industries. And to kind of bring back another point um, that I brought up earlier around staff retention, things like that, and, and really taking the burden off of the staff, I think there's something to be said about artificial intelligence augmenting and supporting clinical staff um, to make their jobs easier. Not that they're going to become lazy or anything, but there's there's a big burden, especially when you're diagnosing uh, people or potentially misdiagnosing them. Uh, and, you're, and, and artificial intelligence additionally will allow a lot of physicians to improve their decision making make their decision-making shorter. They can avoid the misdiagnosis. They can avoid unnecessary procedures as well, which I think is extremely important, especially if a patient is extremely ill and doesn't want to continue to undergo these procedures. Um, and you know, they can recommend treatment faster, so faster time to care. Um, so it helps kind of alleviate some of those additional burdens from the, the healthcare providers, the clinicians who are, are seeing these patients who are um, making sure that they're getting the appropriate diagnostic tests done. And I think that, um, you know, as we do more randomized controlled trials and, and studies for AI and machine learning, we're going to see a lot more hospitals, likely starting with the teaching hospitals again, adopting this technology and making it a standard across all of healthcare. Seems to make sense. Yeah, it does. So one last thing I'll add on the AI side here. This was a, a quote from the article that I found interesting, which is not necessarily, you know, we've been talking about a lot of from the cl- clinical decision making and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, per, you know, improving care and preventing risks and deaths and all that stuff or whatever. But, you know, they're pointing out, hey, there's other opportunities here. It says more providers will weave AI into their operations for uses in revenue cycle management, clinical decision support, obviously connected there too, and, pay- and patient engagement, experts predicted. Payers will also look to find efficiencies using technology and discover new ways to use data they collect as healthcare organizations struggle with the growing disconnect between consumer expectations and the reality of the healthcare mm, experience mm-hmm. That's right. and competition for market entrants like Amazon and Walmart. Mm. So, oh. you know, I, like I think, you know, if, if, if maybe you're worried about how do I get, you know, the big picture where again, if you're talking about just teaching hospitals and high level organizations, getting into the more the clinical side mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm, AI, mm-hmm. there's probably going to be opportunities for other stuff related AI. When you think of stuff just like, you know, the the buying department, you know, and managing supplies or, mm. uh, you know, the, they mentioned the the revenue cycle management, um, just pay, simple patient engagement even. Mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Just, you know, having AI, you know, available to help send out, 
you know, reminders. Oh, and, with the language model and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. More conversational? Absolutely. So I think there's, there's going to be other opportunities there. You know, don't think of it as just a, you know, I've got to go out and find the big solution that's going to, you know, make sure no one ever dies in a hospital again. And, you know, there might be more smaller opportunities out there to partner up with AI. You know, I think of some of the folks we've talked to, like, I don't know, like, say like a wait time, for instance. Mm, yeah, right. I mean, there's probably some kind of a, you know, I know they're mostly in hospitality, but there's probably something in a, in, in a similar concept of making sure patients are treated on time and they're mm, not waiting mm, too long mm, to see mm, a doctor or yep. waiting too long in an ER. Right. Stuff like that that yeah. AI can potentially be part of, too. yeah, yeah, so. yeah. yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. Are you saying that I'm not going to get my healthcare robot anytime soon? <laughs> no. Catherine, I, I was kind of counting on, you know, some little robot at home that does all this. No? No. I, uh, okay. I, 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 don't, I think you're, I think I'm just going to be honest with you. I think we're yeah. a little ways off from, you know. Dang it. Doctor, race. not sure people want robots putting catheters in. But, oh you know. no, yeah, that's a really <laughs> yeah, good point, Catherine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not going to quite have the bedside manner that no. you want. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know <laughs> maybe, if, maybe if you can get the. Actually, I don't even want to say this. The EMH from um, from Star Trek. You know, they had yes. the emergency medical hologram. Yeah, yep, mm-hmm. But if you were, if you ever watched that show at the beginning, his bedside manner was pretty awful. <laughs> like they had to leave him running for a long time, and you know, to start adapting and learn how to be a little more human. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't gotcha. think we're ready for that yet. Gotcha, so. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, well, let's wrap up talking about cybersecurity. And I want to mm. reference a few stats that came out of this article here. Which oh, says so that, this is an issue. This oh, is yeah, a pretty it's, big issue. It's, it's always a, it's a, it's a, it's a scary, depressing issue, but I think it's even more elevated in healthcare because this is one place where a business shutting down for any amount of time oh, will literally potentially cost lives. Yes, yes. Uh, so it said ransomware attacks on hospitals doubled between 2016 and 2021. 42 million patients' data was exposed. Mm. And they also mentioned there would be an, uh, that there's an up to 15% increase in cybersecurity budgets expected this year. Mm. So talk to us a little bit about more about that, Catherine. Uh, how does this push to keep securing patient data, combating these ransomware attacks, making sure that hospitals are insulated against anything that could shut them down? How's that impacting our VARs right now selling to these healthcare companies? What should they be thinking about as part of that conversation, even if they're not necessarily a cybersecurity expert? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that um, I have conversations with are the different, at least in the clinical environment, are the different peripherals that we can add to make nurse workstations, clinical workstations more secure and to validate that we are seeing the correct patient. Not just, you know, what's your name and your birthday, but are we doing any biometric scanning to ensure that we're actually caring for the correct person, which is a huge area of, of security and privacy and all of that. So, you know, there's recently I had a, a conversation with um, a company called AuthX. They do um, facial recognition in healthcare. They get integrated directly into Epic Welcome and Cerner and Meditech and all of the other ones. And they, they do a lot of biometric scanning on that cybersecurity side. So, when a patient comes in and they have an identical twin, you know that the patient that you're seeing is the actual patient, not their identical twin who's drug seeking or getting, um, you know, seeing a physician or they might have insurance and they're, they're you know, pursuing health care on the twins uh, identification. So we're seeing a lot more of that. We're also seeing a lot more um, of the clinicians have uh, the like immediate sign off when they leave their workstation. So they're not actually going to have to press a log off button at their workstation to protect privacy, things like that. And a lot of hospitals are investing in those types of peripherals or peripheral technology at the nurse workstations at the bedside areas like that. But as far as like the ransomware and additional cybersecurity goes, that's part of every single conversation that we have. Um, you know, how are we how are we protecting our organization from ransomware attacks? And while ELO doesn't have any software technology that assists with that, we certainly have a lot of partners who do. So we try to have really collaborative conversations, not just with our ELO team about our hardware that we can provide, but with all of our partners as well who provide the different aspects to make the solution exactly what the hospital is asking for or desiring for. Um, their facility. So we go in kind of with this really collaborative approach to ensure that they're getting the hardware they need, but they're also getting that cybersecurity kind of uh, uh, tools or technology that they need to make the solution secure for their organization. 
Hmm, partner assisted solutions. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it sounds so, familiar. I only yeah. bring that up, Catherine, because it's like John and I just preach that like <laughs> every single podcast, and now there's our line right, right there. Right. right? You do. You need those partners in order to facilitate that, certainly on the cybersecurity yeah. side. Uh, I will agree with you. We are seeing an uptake in like, um, you know, single sign on or secured sign on to devices. Uh, mm-hmm. Huge. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of those areas that you can, there's the technology there to clamp that down. So that just becomes not an issue right, in, the, in right. the cyber world. There's plenty of other issues to deal with. Let's not deal with the fact that right. of the sign-on process. So yeah, really fascinating and uh, you know big big issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, will. and again, you don't have to be the cybersecurity expert, but you want to make sure that any, especially any partners you're working with, that you vetted them and assure oh, yeah. that, that they are secure. Because again, you don't want to be. <laughs> You don't want to be the one responsible for any kind of this access mm-hmm. issues or leaks or mm-hmm. you know any 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 point of attack that someone could have into a healthcare facility. Yep. I think it's stuff even like I, I remember when I was working with RFIDs a few years ago, and you know we talked about the single sign on like for yeah, printers, that's for right. instance. Yeah, like, exactly. And and not even like you know well, not the kind edge. of. No, yeah, exactly. It's an edge peripheral of mm-hmm. sorts. You know, like we're talking even like, you know, just like copiers or like, you know, the printer you use just to go, mm-hmm. you know, whip up something or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, and print out, you know, a label a sheet print. that you yeah. hand to somebody or, or label yeah, printers yeah. Or even. Sometimes those can be this very simple point of entry that a hacker can use to get mm-hmm. into an entire system. Yeah. And it's stuff like that where mm. if that's not part of your conversation, because if they're not asking you about it, they should be. I'm I'm gonna assume most healthcare or IT people at this point. That's I think probably, it's table stakes, right? You've yeah, got to exactly. have a security right. position. So if you're right. trying to go in and sell something and you haven't even remotely thought about the security angle of it yet, you're probably mm. going to get just turned around and shown right out the door yeah. oh, before you absolutely. even, even yeah. get to have that conversation. Yeah, there, but to so. Catherine's point, and it's good. You know, there's an ecosystem here, right? You yes. can lean on your partners to to assist in those in those areas. Yep, yep, very much so. All right, well, in a moment, we're going to let uh, Catherine talk a little bit about uh, maybe some other predictions and trends and opportunities she and Elo yes. are watching right now in healthcare. But before we do that, first of all, we always want to thank our sponsors of the Tech Connect podcast, the program. Big thank you to Elo. Elo mm-hmm. has been very supportive of the podcast since the very beginning. You guys are always on board with the Tech Connect program. You always yep. have lend us plenty of great guests. Absolutely. Uh, so we very much appreciate Elo's support, and thanks for lending us Catherine today. Uh, <clears throat> as always, if you like the show, we kind of want to know. Yep. I'm, you know, I mean, we, we're... It's really we're, easy. You we're just coming up on like 150 button. episodes, so right. we're doing this in part because we enjoy doing it, but we assume that people enjoy consuming it That's as right. well. And they do. But we want to hear from you. It helps, you know. It's Believe it or not, it's it's just nice sometimes mm-hmm, to know mm-hmm. that, you know, that people are out there listening, that they're paying Maybe attention. Maybe there's an area in healthcare we didn't tap on that exactly. you want to know about. Yes. If you want to know more of this stuff, if you heard of this list today and said, you know what, I really like what Catherine had to say about AI. But I wish they had asked her this question. Exactly. Send mm-hmm. us that stuff. Tell us. We'll we'll bring her back on and ask the, the yeah. that additional question. Absolutely. We'll, we'll get into these topics some more, but you you have to tell us. Uh, there's always a link in the show notes where you can send us in any topic for the podcast. Just go and type it in. Say, hey, I want to hear about this. I think you guys should talk about that. Whether we use it or not, we'll send you a Tech Connect podcast t-shirt. That yep. alone is a good reason to do it. There's Absolutely. no cost to you. Just, you know, a moment of your time to give us an idea. Uh, and of course, you know, you follow us on LinkedIn. Make sure you're always following Blue Star on LinkedIn uh, because we're always putting up uh, recaps of the pod every week up there. So if you miss one, you can get at least a nice recap. You can all see all the other cool stuff we got going on around Blue Star. Make sure you keep up with us, events that we're doing, webinars that are coming up. And of course, if you want to reach out to us directly here on the podcast, you can always find us on Twitter at TechConnectPod. You can also email us, techconnect at bluestarinc.com. All right, let's wrap up here first with our value to the VAR. Mm-hmm. You know, and Catherine, as I mentioned, you know, I want to hear from you if there's anything else. You know, we talked mostly about the stuff that was in this article, but are there any other predictions, any other growth opportunities that you and Elo are watching out for right now or working on solutions for? Yeah, I think, um, you know, just as far as value to the VAR goes, I wanted to really emphasize the fact that, um, you know, part of Elo's value add is really that collaboration piece. We really couldn't do what we do without our partners. And everything that we do, we, we approach from a collaborative approach um, or partnership approach. So, you know, I really wanted to emphasize that. But a couple of other interesting emerging technologies that we've been following is this idea of bioprinting. Um, and bioprinting is essentially uh, 3D printing of live human tissue. Um, you know, how are we, I don't, I don't know if there's necessarily a play for ELO there, but, um, it's certainly something that we are following, looking at seeing, um, you know, what's happening there. I know that Ohio state university 
their medical center has been doing a lot of testing there. And so that's certainly something that I, I think is really interesting and we're following. The other thing I think we're following pretty closely is this idea of augmented or virtual reality in healthcare. We're seeing a lot more of that as well. Um, and you know, we're following uh, ways that we can get plugged into augmented and virtual reality in healthcare. And if that makes sense really for ELO as a company. And I think we're gonna see a lot more of it. I mean, it's a cool technology in general, but um, it certainly could make a virtual care visit a lot more interesting if it was virtual reality and you feel as if you're actually talking to a person in the same room as them. So um, certainly something that we're following as well. I thought you were going to go virtual, like flying through the body, you know, being able to, <laughs> to, to diagnose stuff, that would be pretty cool too. zooming yeah. through veins sure and that stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Or was that a like sci-fi a, movie? Like, yeah, That's like a magic school bus thing, if you remember <laughs> there that. There you go. Just yeah. like going through the human body. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Now, the tissue printing, that's an interesting one yeah. there. I mean, I think that was on like one of my tech connecting with Probably, you. Probably, yeah. You know, like they were able to t print a blob or something like that. But, right. Uh, you know, pr like printing an eye or something like that or yeah. an ear yeah. or... That's kind of crazy. Yeah. That's kind of, I don't know. Imagine I, yourself 30 you minutes from now. Hey, can you give me a new arm? This well, one's I mean, a little, yeah. you know. And think about like organ replacement. Think about you oh, know, the, yeah, all these folks that are sure. always on transplant lists, you know, having to wait. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of more where you got to wait for somebody to die so you can get their right, organ. Right, Imagine right. being like, hey, we can 3D print up that yeah. organ that you need. And Yeah. Oh, and, hold on. Let me just turn right on in. the machine yeah, real quick. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly, I think, a piece of it is that that organ care or, um, you know, that being a part of it or implants, things like that. But I think that the the main tests that they're doing currently are like ears, corneas, bones, skin. I think it'll be especially important for people who are burn victims for skin grafts, things like that, you know, things that we can really um, assist with having better quality of life for patients. God, yeah. What a wonderful world. No doubt. Absolutely. Yeah, that would no be doubt. so cool. That's the kind yeah. of innovation I will I will absolutely praise and enjoy. No seeing, doubt. So. No doubt about it. Yeah, the only thing I'll add here, you know, is that um, we've hinted about this a few times already, is is looking at specialty departments within healthcare mm, and mm -hmm. finding out what they need, what their solutions are. Kath, and you mentioned very early on, you know, mental health and behavioral health in particular. Mm, you know, it's mm -hmm. a, a department where there's a lot of funding coming in, where there's a lot of, you know, social discussion around it. There's a lot of, you know, political discussion around it. It's, mm -hmm. it's one of those things that we know we need to figure out how to address. So if you have, if you're working with folks that have solutions or you have solutions that can help out with those particular departments... You know, it's rather than trying to tackle like what can I get out of the hospital as a whole? What can I sell that's going to be you know used across an entire healthcare system? Mm -hmm. Maybe you step into a you know a, a family planning center. Maybe you step into you know the 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 OBGYN area or something you know and, and have a conversation with them and say, hey, what are your particular problems and issues mm. that you're dealing with mm -hmm. right now? Mm -hmm. Where could technology help you out? Maybe start small, and that stuff could potentially grow over time to other areas. But I think you know. I mean, to me, it's one of those, it's kind of something you do in a lot of industries where you, you find the pain point and you find a challenge in one part of a business, go in there and solve their problem, and that opens some doors up to the rest of the yeah, way. Right. And I think a lot of people in healthcare know this as well, mm -hmm. but I think right now is the time to really go in and figure out, like, what's the difference between, you know, what's happening in certain departments of healthcare versus the overall system that maybe you can go in and address and start, start and small. You, I agree with you. And if you're already in healthcare, it's incumbent upon you to understand the, the solutions that continue to grow, yeah, you know, that definitely. are maybe outside of your core that can help uh, uh, your your current uh, customers in, in their solutions, yep, right? I exactly. mean, that's what a, a true solutions integrator will do is become that trusted advisor. Exactly. Yeah, Agreed. So. All right. Well, hey, let's wrap up the show with our favorite segment. What's tech connected oh, with you? Yeah, the right. This is where we talk about something in the world of science, tech, business, innovation, maybe just, even healthcare. Just some random story we feel like chatting about and having having <laughs> a discussion right. about. So, Catherine, I'll let you kick it off. What's tech connecting with you right now? So, I've been following a gentleman on social media named Brian Johnson, and he's super interesting. He's this this guy who's trying to basically reverse the aging process in his own body so that he has the body, mind, organ system, everything of an 18-year-old. Oh, and wow. um, I love this. <laughs> really wild. It's called Project Blueprint, and it's super fascinating to me. Um, and essentially, they're he's taking all of these daily supplements. He has a team of over 30 physicians monitoring all of his blood counts, all the blood levels. He's on a strict diet. He eats the same exact food every single day. He has a calorie restriction. He does certain workouts, a sleep routine. He wears these wearables. 
it's pretty wild to see. And so he's doing it. I think his father is doing it and his one of his sons is doing it with him. And they actually just selected their first female to do this regimen as well, which I think is really awesome because women's health is so different because of our hormonal cycles and the need for more sleep, things like that. So I'm really intrigued, obviously. And I'm also really interested to see how Plot Project Blueprint um, really focuses in on women's health. So I'm, I, that is my, uh, what's connecting with me. I'm really excited to see what happens. That's, next. that's awesome. That's really kind of yeah. cool. So how is it going for him so far? <laughs> I think that it's going well. Um, he's been able to reverse his natural age by back by several years based off of his biomarkers, which is pretty wild. Um, he's super fit uh, all of his okay, but what's the diet? Really what's what's crazy? he eating? You know, I'm sure there's no. I think it's a totally vegan diet. It's I was going to say there's no Chick Fil A in there, there, right? Yeah, no Chick Fil A. None of the good <laughs> oh, dang stuff, it. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dean's like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, can't do it. Uh, well, I, I very much appreciate the equity angle that you mentioned there too, though, because you're oh, right. For so sure. let's be honest, we know the history of healthcare. So much of it was built around men. Yeah. You know, and white right. men probably at that yeah. for that matter too. So it's nice to see that when someone acknowledges like, hey, how can this be spun off into, you know, to to other members of our society that justify you know, and 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 have just as much of a stake in their healthcare as anyone yeah. else. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Project Blueprint, that. is that what it's called again, Catherine? Project Blueprint. You guys should look it up. It's super interesting. Oh, for yeah, sure. We'll check do. This yeah, out. yeah, yeah. Anti-aging see is, how, is see how much of this I could possibly handle it and to de-age <laughs> myself at all. I need to start rewinding the clock immediately. <laughs> so I, I'm in. I don't know if I can do the I diet regimen. Just, just get me back to 40. If yeah. I can just get back to 40 at this point, I yeah, think I'm good. I'd, I'd yeah. be okay with that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Just, just shave off shave back. off these last... 41? Just one year, right? 41. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's sure, so yeah. nice. Yeah. So yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah. Brownie points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I appreciate that. I should have said 30, then it would have sounded even better. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Dean, what's that with you? Do you think our society is having a little bit of a moment and that it's tough for people to get along sometimes? You know? I mean... Have you noticed that maybe a little bit? We not had that moment, but yes, <laughs> well, it's probably well, probably been more obvious than ever. Yeah. Okay. Well, Northwestern University has got a solution for okay. us. They've implanted wireless devices, triggers. Okay, uh, this is already off to a bad start. Well, no, no, no. Well, it's healthcare related. <laughs> okay. Implanted wireless device triggers mice to form instant bonds. So <laughs> this is the first. And uh, Catherine, have you heard of this? Optogenetics. This is the use of light to uh, manipulate neurons within your brain, right? So these are light trans. And and they did a study. So for the first time, Northwestern engineers and neurobiologists have wirelessly programmed and then deprogrammed mice to socially interact with one another in real time in both positive and negative ways. So, you know, it, it, in the old days, maybe a couple of years ago, the, the fact that it's wireless is is significant here because they'd, they'd wire up these mice and, and there'd be wires hanging off of them. Right, right. And so it's really hard to do a social experiment when you look like... You know, you've got when you look like a Borg mouse, yeah. <laughs> so the fact that they went wireless now and they can kind of hide everything, okay. and, but they can still manipulate the neurons within the within the brain. They were able to effectively do that. So basically, you know, they they did experiments where they triggered using the light where people would or the mice would act socially. They were they were uh, exposed to a longer social cycle, but mm-hmm. they, they can manipulate kind of the behavior around it, a uh, good and bad. So okay. you know maybe this is our sol- solution to societal woes someday. <laughs> is that when when Elon plugs us all in with that neuro? Did, did, did it have to be thing? Elon? Come on. <laughs> okay, or. You name the <laughs> mad billionaire. Uh, <laughs> That's already Jeff part Bezos, of the problem. Okay, uh, yeah, we're not getting any better here. <laughs> we're not. <laughs> well, mad scientist of right, some right, sort right. It comes up with the solution with these neuro things. I don't know, Catherine. Are we are we going to manipulate people with light sensors and the? And I the feel neurons? like that sounds like a a villain origin story. There, uh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> That's a good point. yeah That's my a good mind. Point. Okay, so you know, my mind always goes to like I build the science fiction story out of it. Oh yeah. So I'm gonna be you're thinking like, all right, you mentioned that you can do positive or, or negative. negative. Yes. So like, <laughs> let's say you have this like wonderful idealistic society where you've implanted this stuff and everybody's nicer and more charming. And yep. yeah, to Catherine's point, some super villain comes along, yes. some egomaniac comes along and decides, figures out how to flip the switch <laughs> to turn us into purge world or something all of a sudden, you know, like, come on. 
Yeah. That's the reality of what would really happen, right? Yeah, I, yeah. The 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 desire to change human behavior is always one of my favorite, isn't it? Yes, efforts in the world yes. of technology. Like, yes. how can we make people be better people? And well, there you go. Light neurons. Light uh, neurons. Light, I guess light we go manipulation to of neurons. So, all right, all what's right. tech connecting with you? All right. So, uh, mine isn't quite as um, you know game changing. I guess maybe from from <laughs> a you know societal perspective. But there's an interesting article I came across. Science.org. Dream glove boosts creativity during sleep. Dream glove. So there was a study that was done where they basically brought a bunch of people in, and I think it was 50 volunteers, mostly students and professors um, at the mass uh, at MIT. And basically, they, they had them either stay awake or take a nap. Now, the nap group apparently laid down. They had an eye mask on, and they put a, a glove-like device, which is mostly just like some sensors around the fingers. And the I'm thinking Michael or, Jackson here. No, it's a, no not okay. like a legit glove. <laughs> uh, it's called Dormio. So it's got all these sensors okay. that measure their heart rate, muscle tone changes. Basically, the, the glove, all it's really doing is tracking, tracking sleep changes, okay. identifying So exactly, it's a wearable, right? Yeah, exactly yeah, 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 yeah. when people are falling asleep, essentially. Okay. And then... So they have different groups that they're working with here mm-hmm. as part of it. They split them up. So one group, they before they went to sleep, they told them to think about trees as they're falling asleep. Okay. And then essentially, and this is the part that's kind of annoying, but they're using the glove to identify as they fall asleep. And when they, as soon as they're drifting off, they're making them essentially wake up again. So like oh, basically, I think, I think they said like about yeah. every five minutes. So basically several times over 45 minutes, they're waking them up, asking them questions and asking them to say what's on their minds or mm-hmm. what they're what they were thinking about or dreaming about. Okay. Um, and then you had a control group that basically just slept, and then you had a group that was asked to stay awake and think about trees, and a group that was asked to just stay awake, stay awake and think about other stuff. And basically what the, the goal of this was was to determine, like, how their creativity was affected after the fact. Okay. And basically what they found out is, for one, the people that they told to think about trees— when they were waking them constantly, were, were dreaming about trees. Like okay. Big, grandiose dreams related to trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this article is interesting because it kind of tells you some of the stuff they were dreaming about. Like there's one guy that uh, somebody said that one remembered having arms made of old wood. Another recalled <laughs> being so big that he could eat eat trees like finger food. Uh-huh. And he basically what they found out is on the back end, let me see if I can find some of the stats here, that a lot of the folks who were given this instruction ahead of time and were given the opportunity to wake up were much found had much higher creativity metrics. The idea behind it being that during those times of sleep when you're kind of like drifting in and out mm-hmm, a little bit, mm-hmm. your mind is still working very deeply and there's a lot of creativity happening there. Mm-hmm. But because you're kind of in and out, you forget it very quickly and you're not accessing most ah, of Ah, yes, okay, later on. right, right. So here's some of the stats. Uh, overall, volunteers who dreamed about trees scored 78% higher on the creativity metrics than those who stayed awake just observing their thoughts and 63% higher than those who stayed awake thinking about trees. Participants who napped without hearing the prompt still got a creativity boost, but those who dreamed about trees still performed 48% better than them. Well, what is it about trees? I, well, it's not the tree thing. It oh, was okay. just All That right. was the, what they used as the example. The stimulator. They made them think about trees. Okay. And basically, when they'd have these people come out, they'd have them write stories or do drawings, uh, do okay. some kind of creative work. And those who were given the prompt as they were falling asleep were more likely to, to write really fascinating, in-depph, you know, stories about creative, trees. Yeah, yeah, right. dr- make creative drawings. There was there was a lot more creativity mm-hmm. to those that were that were given those prompts and kind of pushed Understood. a little bit got into it, got it. into creative dreaming and thought than yeah. those that just just had a, a regular random app. thought. So, yeah, 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 right. Yeah. So it's just interesting, huh. like you know, it's just an idea that, like you know, we've always. I think a lot of people think like, hey, I had great ideas when I slept sometimes and. Maybe you remember them, but most likely you're forgetting most of that stuff. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. there's a way we can find, you know, a way to tap into that and Why bring that creativity back to the surface. I also later. find you it just fast. set your alarm for, you know, every 45 minutes to wake you up all night long. There's there's some like novelist or, you know, writer, you know, musician out there somewhere. It's probably going to try to do that just to see if they can get better content out of that. I also find it interesting that these are MIT people that that use themselves as guinea pigs. There you go. Yeah. Hey, true. Right. There you go. They're not just the mad scientists. They're the ones actually, you know, you can. Try it out on them. Exactly. (laughs) All right. That's what's tech connecting with us. Catherine Cummings from ELO. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. We always love having you on. We'll get you back here again sometime. Absolutely. Uh, we do have to unplug, but until next time, um, you know, dream about some trees. Yep. Um, reverse <laughs> yourself back to 18 years old. 
And um, I guess let yourself be manipulated by light, by light. to be a better person, yes. or at least there a better go. mouse. Not diabolical. I just keep thinking of like Borg Mouse, you know, like just, <laughs> hey guys, want to hang out? <laughs> All right, I'm done. <laughs> Until next time, folks, please stay connected. Technic Podcast is brought to you by Zebra. Space is uh, at a premium in most businesses, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would think so. So Absolutely. why would you waste space with a big, bulky printer? Mm, really good point. Yeah. yeah, no, you get, you got, you got, you need that space. Yeah, you need that space. Well, Zebra's ZD611 series premium desktop printers Ooh. are compact two-inch devices with a big impact, featuring next-gen technology, performance, and security for years of superior printing. I like it. The ZD611 is easy to set up, operate, manage, maintain, and secure with field-installable media handling designs and wireless communication options. These compact printers are available in direct thermal, thermal transfer, healthcare. Hey, we talked a little Wait, bit about that A little that bit today. of healthcare, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, lineless and RFID models, which support virtually every two-inch use case. To learn more and find helpful resources, specs, target industries, and use cases, visit the link in the show notes. Technic Podcast is also brought to you by Eglo. All right, self-service, never been easier. Yes. I mean, it should be easy. Well, right. We think it should be easy. And it's made easier by people like Eglo. Yeah. Well, you want, you want to do this one for me? No, I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> You're yeah, on good, it. Good. <laughs> Uh, Elo's Wallaby Pro kiosk stand in nice, particular nice. can make self-service much easier. The Wallaby Pro is changing the industry by in making it easier than ever to configure interactive self-service solutions. Choose from wall, counter, and floor models, engineer with configurations to fit any space mm -hmm. in retail, restaurants, hospitality, healthcare, healthcare again, and corporate environments. Just add a 22, 24, or 27-inch touchscreen display. All right, if you're looking for more options, though. Even more let's options? Let's talk about a, a custom-branded backer board. Nice. You want to lay a little yes. marketing and branding yeah. to your Who kiosk? doesn't want to do that? Yeah. Ceiling pole to minimize footprint. Oh, one of those cords oh, nice. all over the floor. Yes. You're tripping all over them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and a printer. Yes. You can have an ADA compliant keyboard. Okay. Uh, an assist button. Yep. You can use Elo's Edge Connect to attach accessories. Are you all talking modularity right now, John? Of course I'm talking modularity. All right. One of, your, one of your favorite words. Yes, I love it. That's one that's not a four-letter word to you. That's a, <laughs> no, especially with you. the opposite of a four-letter word. Is, I don't you know. know. Like, yeah, it's the good stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Are the good are the good words the five letter words? I, I don't I don't know. Sleep that's a five letter word. Oh, see that's a good word. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, oh, and the the Wallaby Pro stand offers easy to access concealed housing for a power strip, power bricks, compute devices, cables, whatever you might need. So if you're ready to help your customers design the most customizable self service solutions, start with the Wallaby Pro. Contact your Elo representative to learn more.